0: welcome to the real seven show as always this podcast will be completely raw unfiltered and uncensored today i sit down and talk with dominic clark dominic is a mixed martial artist and bare knuckle fighting champion today we talk about everything from the fight game masculinity to what we see is going on in the world so if this is something that you'd like to listen to then buckle up because here we go
1: dom clark i'm from the uk i'm a i'm a retired mixed martial artist and bare knuckle boxer uh, kind of had a multitude of different angles like through my life doing different things so i was part of the dream boys the strip company um <laughs> i've done all kinds of shit really i've put my hand to uh many many bags of things across the uh across the years so yeah it's kind of a i like, like to make my uh, my life as colorful as possible, so.
0: Mm. So let's start with what you just said, <clears throat> with the mixed martial arts and bare knuckle fighting, because as, you know, a lot of people would say mixed martial arts is one thing, but bare knuckle is a whole other <laughs> fucking animal. <laughs> yeah. What was it that brought you to the bare knuckle world? Like, where did your martial arts career start? Were you young? How, how did that whole thing come to fruition?
1: I know real... Um, background in it. I mean, I grew up in, uh, in the, what you would call the shit show part of East London in, uh, in England on a shit to council estate. Single mum, two sisters, only boy in the family. Hadn't seen my dad really since I was about eight, nine years old, probably once, twice a year. Had no male um, kind of influence or role model. You know, my mum had partners in and out. One partner that she did have was a bit of a shithead, a bit physical with me, a bit uh, a bit pushy, like to push his weight around, didn't like me kind of expressing my opinion or like or like the fact that I like to kind of um extend my, you know, my fortitude that I was a man as well, or I was growing into a man and he didn't like that at all. So he used to get a bit heavy with me now and again. Um, I was bullied at school because I went to a predominantly um, Nigerian school um, in that part of East London um, because I come from a mixed-race family. My mum's, well, majority black, she's Caribbean and stuff like that, Um, and my father's white. So I was deemed as, you know, an entity, a different kind of, you know, colour to me. So I was a target very easily. I've got green eyes, I've got curly hair. Um, you know, I'm deemed what I was deemed when I was younger as like a pretty boy. So I, I was targeted quite a lot because the girls were attracted to me and the boys didn't like that. So I used to get the shit kicked out of me in school. And because I grew up in a, in a female prominent household, I was always told, never fight back. You're more of a man to walk away, turn the other cheek, all this shit that you hear. Never really given the uh, the ability to, you know, defend myself. And it got to the point where, because I have a twin sister, it came to, a, you know, uh, a large thing where on a school bus one day my twin sister was getting a hair pulled by this guy that had been bullying me for about three years. And I snapped. It wasn't even the fact of me taking the point of the beatings from them or him. It was the fact that they attacked my twin sister, started pulling her hair, and I turned, I punched him in the face and broke his nose. <laughs> Uh, And that kind of set me off on a realisation that I actually could defend myself. I needed to defend myself and I needed to kind of set this kind of fraction that I need to defend myself and those people closest to me. So that kind of opened up me. Well, in a negative way, it kind of pushed me into conflict, really. I used to run the streets quite a lot. I was involved in petty crime, robbing from shops, minor burglary all that kind of stuff, doing the wrong things, trying to accumulate material things that mean fuck all when you're an adult. But when you're a kid, you believe because you don't get them because you come from a single parent household, you believe these labels mean something. And, uh, so I used to go out on the Rob and stuff like that. And I was coming across, you know, unsavory characters and mixing with people. I grew up in an area called Finsbury Park, which is in North London, uh, literally bef- not before my mum relocated us because of a lot of it was to do with my troubles. So I was getting involved with the police and, you know, there were threats of me going to prison and stuff like that. Well, young offenders. Uh, but I used to do runnings for the, there was a, a well-known pimp in that area who was, used to run a lot of Turkish prostitutes and stuff. So I used to collect money for him. This is like mm-hmm. a 12, 13 years old. So I was fearless. I had this kind of fearless attitude about me, no care. I didn't have any real care for myself really because I had no identity as far as I was concerned. You know, I had no male model to kind of build myself around or kind of, you know, fortify myself to be something positive. I just was looking for material aspects of me to feel like that was something that would build me up into being something when it, it meant nothing the older you get. But So that kind of led me onto the the physical path where I was able to use my hands and I was quite good at using my hands. So, um, yeah, and then we were relocated partly due to my troubles and the fact that my mum grew out of love with London and the problems that it caused, the family, a lot of it due to my behaviour. She relocated us to Ireland (laughs) from, you know, (laughs) inner city shit urban london to the middle of shit show fields and cows in the middle of a republic of Ireland. you know tiny little cottage 12 and a half miles from the nearest town but of course <laughs> being me i'd find trouble and i did so i started fighting there and i got to meet a lot of the travelers and that you know enabled me to you know kind of realize that you know there's something could be Competitive. I didn't really get involved in the bare knuckle over there. It was really later on in life when I started working. When I really, I left Ireland after two years. um Just before I turned sixteen, I was working in in London again. I was homeless because uh, I'd run away from home, and I was like living on the streets and like bumping on people's sofas and hostels and shit like that, doing anything to. Earn money working in abattoirs and fucking warehouses with fully grown men, and getting in altercations and stuff like that at times as well. So I was, um, yeah, I was finding that I was getting more and more times I was coming across aggressive situations where I was having to fight and defend myself. Um, but it wasn't until I met my uh, my my, uh, my boy's mum and I relocated to the to the seaside. <laughs> And I uh you know, I was 24, 25 at the time, and I um I'd always been in street fights and stuff like that, but nothing, you know, crazy. Um, you know, like people say, oh, I've had hundreds of street fights and stuff like that. No, not not me, not really. <laughs> I'm a bit smarter than that, you know. Um so I would uh I was down here and I was working, just just a shit show job on the on the roads. And uh, I had a friend of hers who decided to take up Greco-Roman wrestling and my Tai. So I went along to this thing just thinking, fuck it, something to do. Not a big football nut. I like a bit of rugby, but I needed <laughs> something physical. And uh, yeah, basically the coach there literally saw my kind of mindset and was throwing me in fights about three or four weeks later. So yeah, that's how it kind of swung in and I was just literally fighting in shitty little leisure centres and shopping malls and nightclubs and fighting for 50 dollars, 50, $50, eighty dollars, fighting for nothing half the time. So and that's how it kind of started all the way back about two thousand and eight. So and then it kind of, you know, multitude from there and I kind of just went on a on a run really of just fighting as often as I could. So
0: so what does that uh, what does that look like as it evolves? Like were you part of a you know some sort of like a a professional league or or whatever out there in London? I'm not exactly sure what you guys have for fight leagues out there.
1: Um, you, well you can you can fight up your way up through the amateur ranks, or you can just go pro. But the only way it's deemed as pro here is you fight for money. You're a prize mm. fighter. There's no real license or contract really. That's more boxing based. But martial arts, because it was in the, the youth of MMA in the UK. Mm. It was very underground still. It wasn't really well known. The UFC was, you know, they did it in the, the Royal Albert Hall, but it was, you know, they had about, you know, a few thousand people there. It wasn't what the way it is now. It didn't it hadn't grown. I so I started fighting mixed martial arts and stuff. And uh, bare knuckle back then when it was nothing really like Valetudo It was like it was just underground stuff. You you know you would turn up at a venue and there'd be sixty people there. You'd be in a, the back in the back the back room or like a storage room of a leisure club. You know of a of a nightclub. Mm-hmm. It was nothing nothing you know glamorous or anything like. You go sometimes you'd be you'd be warming up. At, you know there'd, there'd be venues. You'd be warming up outside the toilets. It'd be, it was literally you know. I was. It was. I was a prize fighter. It wasn't really like you would. You, you could say it was professional because I was fighting for money, and I'd fight. There were t- times where I'd fought every week, unlicensed. Most of my fights never ended up on my record because they were just the the, the events weren't deemed as professional bouts or um legal bouts. So mm. I would just turn up and fight for a paycheck.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So. Because I know you have those pictures that you can see on your uh, on your page where you're you're in a legitimate ring, you're wearing legitimate, you know, mm. you're actually fucking bare knuckle fighting. Like it looks no yeah. different than watching a Mike Perry fight. Um, mm. So wh- how did you how did you get into that? Was that like a, a progression of the career that finally led you to some sort of an opportunity, or did you just kind of find yourself in the situation?
1: Um, well, I-, I was coming to the tail end of my <laughs> MMA career. And uh I was still looking for something. And um yeah, I was I I was planning on going to watch a local fighter we had down here that was going to a bare knuckle show. Um and I uh I called up the promoter because I was dating somebody at the time who was quite infamous and you know, known in the uh adult industry <laughs> and we were invited as guests. Cause I was, I'd fought on Bellator once and I'd fought in Romania or on Andy Tate show. And, you know, before mm. Andy Tate became Andy fucking Tate, you know, I'd met them years ago, you know, when they were just normal blokes wealthy, but just normal blokes. Um, so I kind of had a little bit of a name. I, I was known for fighting anybody and just, you know, a little bit of a journeyman. I'm in a 50 50 record, but I would turn up and I'd swim for the fences and this promoter liked me and he wanted me to come along to the show as a guest, you know, VIP and all that shit and turn up and stand with the ring girls and all that shit and meet people, all that, you know, rubbish. And uh, about three days before, he called me up. His name was uh, Stephen, Stephen Miller. And he called me up and he said, oh, you're still coming to the show up in Manchester? Well, Warrington. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I am. He goes, oh, I need a stand in to fight our champion on the main event. It was a guy called Luke Atkins. He was, uh, you know, he was a two, three belt world champion, uh, one of the best, well known bare knuckle fighters in Europe. Luke's well known on the circuit over here. He's a savage fighter. He's built like an absolute tank. I hadn't sparred for about a year. I hadn't hit pads, and God knows how many months I hadn't done any cardio. I was eating, you know, cheese sandwiches and drinking, you know, drinking beer. Literally, when I took the phone call, I was like. And I was just like, I looked at the girls, I went, ah, fuck it. <laughs> so I did. I, t- I took the fight. <laughs> I went up to this shitty little, um, shitty little like bowlplex venue thing, and and uh, yeah, did not know what my opponent looked like. And I, uh, I threw. I think I landed the first punch on him and dropped him. Uh, and I was, oh shit, this isn't too bad. And um, he fit. I mean, he dropped me in the second. And, I mean, he really dropped me in the second it caught it caught me hard but um yeah that kind of set me off really um people are like oh shit this guy this you know because there's there have been mma fighters and bare knuckle had literally got the shit kicked out of him because it's all well and good getting hitting you know you know mm-hmm. five ounce gloves but so when you get hit bare knuckle it really it rings through your head i mean it's like like the old 1990s you know when you the tv channel stop in the, middle of <laughs> the <night and> sh- <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah. it feels like when it hits you in the head. It's a real, yeah. it's like a rings feeling. It's it's weird, uh, but it's also addictive. So um, yeah, I mean, I've broken my hands and you know just on like a couple of punches and stuff like that. So but um, yeah, and then the kind of like you know the the um, the the promoter Sean Smith, who's well known over here, he's uh, kind of like England's best enforcer or debt collector gangster. He's been on vice and all that kind of stuff that Luke was his boy. Mm. And he was quite, you know, he was like, well, you got to get a rematch. You guys, that was a hell of a fight. You know, you swung for the fences. The crowd were on their feet. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize anything after. So I didn't realize the effect it had had. He had thousands of views within days. And, you know, really took a kind of thing that oh this, this lad can fight. Um, I was known as being a wrestler during MMA, so but people realised I had quite heavy hands. So um, yeah, I got invited, uh, I think it was eight weeks later to fight in UBKB, um, to fight Luke again for for his belts. And I went up there and knocked him out in the second round and uh uh fractured his cheekbone, broke his eye socket, split his face open, made an absolute mess of him, took all his belts home with me. So that kind of was the peak of my my bare knuckle journey. So, and then I got I got poached. Well, I didn't get poached. I got approached by um, uh, BKB, who were like the biggest promoters in the, in the UK for bare knuckle over here. So, and then I got kind of thrown to the lions. <laughs> I kind of went over there and didn't get any kind of build up fighters after having two bare knuckle fights because that's all I'd had. I was getting thrown in with ex-champions, guys, you had 13, 14, 15 fights. So I got thrown to the wolves very, very quickly. So, yeah, it was a very testing time for me during that. So,
0: so what do you see are the little nuanced differences between boxing and bare knuckle? And the reason that I say this, and it's good to speak to a, a professional, if you will, mm-hmm. um, about this, because... Anybody who's ever been, and I was quite a scrappy teenager myself, getting hit bare knuckle and throwing bare mm. knuckle, mm. it's nice It's nice to throw. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, and especially if you're not like a wide thrower, if you know how to throw straight down the pipe, you're going to drop 99% yeah. of people on the street. Because everybody yeah. just, they, they're used to blocking sides and taking mm. these giant haymakers. Yeah, Dude, if You, yeah, if you yeah, just yeah. know how to guard a little <laughs> and throw down the yeah. middle. 90 percent of the time you're going to absolutely wash somebody mm. but there's something to be said when you're training boxing with bigger gloves yeah it's it's, it's just it's different
1: the yeah it's the blocking and and it's the, the knowing you know you've got that bit of padding i mean mm-hmm. bare doesn't really get the rub it deserves it's very very skillful it looks kind of brawlish really um, like you can see with um, BKFC, they allow for the clinch, the single-hand clinch, and they allow you to punch.
0: Mm-hmm. Whereas
1: BKB, which is the British promotion, they don't allow the clinch. The referee will break you instantly and force you back into action. So mm-hmm. you're not allowed holding, you're not allowed clinching, you've got to automatically go back and start start committing your throwing again. But because you've got you just your hands, you haven't got any padding, or any gloves, that the you know the 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 likelihood of getting heat hit is a lot higher but lot also higher. you have to be a lot more clinical with your shots because the likelihood of you breaking your hands or
0: mm-hmm. fracturing
1: something i mean i broke my you know my metacarpal and my yeah
0: you can see how fat it yeah. is Yeah, I, I <laughs> Big lump.
1: My, my, my middle knuckle there I dislocated that. And I, bro- I broke my hand on the second punch I threw in the first round against Eric Golson. I mean, I absolutely just felt it go, and I continued for another two. I continued into the third round trying to throw it, and every time I landed, it was like a shattering pain, With regardless of the adrenaline. The shattering pain running through. You're trying to contain yourself and keep the mindset, but uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more um, skillful than it really gets. The credit for I mean the guys I've seen if you see it face to face not the real the real guys that really go for it it's so skillful mm-hmm. and it's so strategic because you have to time your shots so you can't just go out there like boxing and swing for the fences because right one you could you know I hit my hand my hand on the top of Eric's mm. where it landed because he was known for dropping low and it landed down I just felt it go yeah. Whereas boxing, you can you can even if you break your hands, and same with martial arts as well. Broke my hands in MMA, but because you're taped up, you you know it's there, but you can kind of tolerate it. Whereas bare mm. knuckle, you feel it within you know milliseconds, so it doesn't really get the you know, and the, you you've got to be a lot more clinical as well because the likelihoods of cuts, more fights in bare knuck, in bare get stopped in bare knuckle because of oh, cuts yeah. than yep. than KOs. But then the, the likelihood of concussion is very limited in bare-knuckle as well because that that shot that lands is more likely to knock you out. Mm-hmm. Whereas on boxing, you can take more and more shots because the circumference of space taken by the glove is a lot higher. Yeah. Whereas the bare-knuckle shot is a clinical shot. You hit that on the temple or the chin, you're gone. Your legs go for it. You know, when I when I fought um, a guy called Ashley Gibson, he caught me on the chin. I mean, I was swinging for the fences and that. I was fighting an emotion that fight. But I took a shot, and my legs just went like jelly. I'd never mm-hmm. been hit, and he literally haymaking it. So I saw it coming, but I got up to guard and I didn't expect it to land. I expected it to land on my chin, but it landed just by the by my that, um, that'll do it. Yeah, by the side, side of my ear. Yeah, and I, I just felt heard, heard a ringing sound, and I went to stand up. I was like, "Whoa, my legs are gone." So yeah, it's um, it's definitely a bit more. I think the mainstream kind of look at it is a bit more savage because of the cuts and the cosmetic effect of it. But as far as skill set-wise, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. So yeah, I don't think anything sports-wise can be more gladiatorial, if you know what I mean, because Absolutely. you're not protecting anything. You've literally got your gum shield in your box. That's it. So mm-hmm. it's just as close as close to real fighting. Fair fighting, I would call it really, because real fight, yep. everyone says it's in the street, but that's not that's I don't deem that as fair. Most people are intoxicated; they've got their friends around. There's the pavement, you know. There's the mm-hmm. cyborg, There's, you know, there's posts. There's weapons they can find. There's all kinds of stuff. So, as, the, as what I would deem as a fair fight, I think bare knuckle is the way. So,
0: yeah. So, I'm just glad to see that uh the bkfc is getting a lot of attention right now and i'm so glad that uh platinum went over there and really started fucking just lighting it up because he's Mm -hmm. just he's got the persona he found (laughs) out that he's like one percent black and just goes for it uh you know what i mean he just and and he's so fucking likable yeah but then you know and and i've always said that like whatever you watch perry fight it was like, dude, why are you in MMA? Like, it just yeah. didn't make sense to me. Don't get me the wrong, he's sense. right. He can he, he can do all of the things, right? Yeah, but he's not he's like a, a. Of course, but it's not like uh, watching like a a GSP or a John yeah. Jones or uh, a Leon Edwards, where you're seeing guys that are just just fucking everything they do is clean, like yeah. their foot placement, they're do everything about yeah. the like. Look how Leon knocked out Usman! Like that left yeah. hand to cover the leg coming behind it—it it was drop. Drop. absolutely beautiful. Like, dude, I legit—I was jumping on my couch like yeah. Tom Cruise being interviewed. You know what I mean? Like, dude, it was insane. There's a weird, I have a weird story regarding Leon Edwards. I
1: was supposed to fight Leon Edwards in one of his first professional fights on a, on a, no on a show. Yeah, back in what 2010. And my missus, her water's broken. She went into labour the day before when I was cutting weight. I'd been in the sauna, cut weight, had all my gear in the car. She had a really, like, prolonged labour because of our boy, one of our boys. Um, Yeah, so I had to cancel the fight because either I go to the show or, you know, I see my baby being born, you know. So, yeah, otherwise, yeah, Leon, me and Leon would have fought that day, so yeah that was a quite a funny one so he ended up head kicking knockout of the guy that they had as a stand-in so I kind of was like wow and then to see what he's achieved from then a, a few of my friends like from back in the day was like oh, I wonder if you would have could have terminated his path or, or something you know but to see what he's done has been, you know is huge he's huge you know because you know the fight me and him were supposed to fight is in a in a shitty little nightclub in a place called Swindon, which is a very industrial town in the Southwest of England. There probably would have been about 400 people there, you know, and to do what he's done is just, you know, huge admiration and respect for someone for keeping the grind, you know?
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. And I was fucking dude. It, it... <laughs> and this is what I love about the fight game not so much in boxing, like boxing itself, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to MMA and obviously bare knuckle is now even more fucking wild than MMA. um, But what you see is you can fight the perfect fight Mm -hmm. for 99.9% of it and it takes one sequence and that's it. Your lights are out, dude. That's why like Cause and his corner, it was amazing. It's like, what are you doing, Rocky? Oh, yeah. What not are you doing, bro. bro? It was, and then you see him at the end, like, what well, fucking on, head out, kick, man. head shot, dead, right? Like, dude, it was what yeah. a moment, man. A- fucking good for him and to think that you would have fought him is is pretty fucking. Wow, who would have knew? I had no yeah. idea that was the case, dude. Why are yeah. you not like? Like, I don't. Like, how have we not heard of you? You know what I mean? Like, how did I just meet you on Instagram? How do you not have, like, a monster following? Like, I don't understand yeah. this.
1: Well, I, I was, my, the tail end of my martial arts career kind of was coming to the, what we deem as the McGregor era, when it was big on social media and televised and stuff. I mean, when I was fighting, I was fighting on, on what we deem as a big show called Cage Rage, which Anderson Silver fought on. And I was, that was our biggest show in the UK. We, we'd we had the UFC here once. We'd never had Bellator. Page Warriors didn't exist. So it was kind of... British fighters didn't really get the rub, really, they got, really. And I it got to a stage in my career where I was 28, 29. It was kind of costing me a lot of money. I wasn't making money because the shows in the UK couldn't afford to pay pay the money, really. I was getting more money from sponsorships, keeping me going, and I was having to do, you know, bouncing, trying to keep 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 myself afloat. It was costing me more in training than you were earning in fights. That's what people don't yeah. seem to realize. When they hear you're an MMA fighter, they always get the thing of, oh, why aren't you a millionaire like McGregor? There's only one McGregor. Mm-hmm. I know I, you know I, I met um Christoph Szyzynski. I don't know if you remember him from the Alma Fighter, the Polish experiment. He was in the old Fire, one of the early stages. And he was ranked number 15 in the world at the time. And he was making $40,000 a fight if he won. And he barely fought twice a year. That's not including taxes. And I mean, when I, when I was fighting, I was having to pay for coaches, training, tr- transport, medicals. Mm. You know, if there was drug testing involved, you know. You play for IVs, you know, you you you'd be paying to use um saunas if you you know, if there wasn't any at the hotel to cut weight. Yeah. You know, you'd be you'd be ensuring your family could come up and watch. And you so see you'd be paying out of your own pocket, you'd be providing tickets because no promoter would give you free tickets. So it's just, you know, people didn't realise you spend three months worth of money to get ready for a fight, and that money would be, you know, eighty percent gone by the time you fought. Yeah. That's before you've even paid your taxes. So it's, it's just, yeah, back back in the day, in the heyday when I was firing, it wasn't really, there was no money in it. There wasn't really the promotion or anything like that. You know, I was in a few magazines and I did a few shows on like um, appearances on Sky Sports and stuff. I was on a few highlight reels and stuff like that. And the tail end of my career it kind of got to the point where I was only getting called out as like a journeyman well, I took kind of took the the, the path as a journeyman, really, because I was getting offered more money to fight abroad or to fight these absolute beasts. You know, I went up to in Liverpool and I fought this guy called Kevin Fry who was in the Bellator, six foot two. You know, I'm five foot nine, <laughs> six foot two. You know, it was his feeder fight to get him into the UFC, and they, they wanted him to have a decent fight. Who are they going to call? Sir Garoub, you know, in Romania and RXF. Their champion. They wanted him to get a bit of, you know, a bit of a rub. Who are they going to call up? Couldn't find anybody in you know in Romania. They're going to call up the guy in the UK. Ah, Dom Clark, the Dominator will come and fight. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, they flew me over my my partner over, and you know, I managed to get my my friend Jordan Miller to fight on the show as well, because he was supposed to be cornering me, but I would have had to pay for him to corner me out of my purse. Mm. So I kind of just like, oh, why don't you get in the fight as well? Get in the fight. So we ended up fighting one after another and cornering each other. That's kind, <laughs> of, that's kind of how me and Jordan kind of spent the last five or six years of our, our MMA careers. We were just going around shows, fighting as often as we can together, cornering each other, wrapping each other's hands, warming each other up. One would go out, one would come back, one would go out again, and we'd be cornering each other. It was just, and it was just a way for it. You know, we just saw it as a as a price. You know, we were prize fighters. We we took the money. You know, we got more money. You know, if we a bit like the the boxing, really. If you can hold, you know, two three rounds with a with a with, a, with an up and comer or somebody that's being watched by the big shows, who's like twenty years old, twenty one years old, twenty two years old, and you, you know, I've got a 50-50 record, but I've had forty fights and I can hold my own, and I can make it a bit rough on them, you're going to take the fight. They're offering you double the money. And that's Mm. where it got to me, really, towards the end of my career. (laughs) I was taking losses, but I was earning. I had more money probably in the last six fights than I had in the first 20-odd. Easily.
0: And that shit's yeah. crazy, man, because, I mean, th- dude, you're expecting two guys to go in there, and there's a high possibility, dude, you get clipped in the temple wrong, you mm-hmm. know, your cheekbone gets shattered, and all of a sudden, you're fucking, you know, you're, everything in your eyeball is now, like, the, the entire floor. Like, who was it that Canelo fought, even in boxing, and broke his fucking mm-hmm. face, dude? Yeah. And that's with a boxing glove, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. now imagine going out and fighting these guys, and, dude, there, there's no... It's not like the UFC, man, where you got all this top-tier care, the top-tier facilities to make sure you recover well, plastic surgeons that'll make sure that they sew things from the inside out so they don't get all fucked up. You don't get that Nate Diaz where you just blow him a kiss and his eyebrow opens, right? Like, which is – but these are the things, right? Like, there's a lot that goes into this behind the scenes that people just don't understand. So before we get into the importance of martial arts, especially for young men Mm – let's cut you've already mentioned it and i'm gonna get heat for not asking so i'm gonna ask uh what was your run-in with the tates like um how did that go who were they at the time long before because everybody just knows them as you know the fucking top g and his brother so who yeah. were they before that
1: <laughs> i i kind of well tristan um ended up fighting on the show rxf with us he he was commentating with Andrew. They mm. were supposed to be commentating, and they, they owned a percentage of the show anyway. They did at the time. I don't know if they still do. Um. And uh, next thing, we're, we're in the back. We're warming up, and in comes Tristan and Andrew. And uh, Tristan's like, we're like, oh, we didn't really think anything of it. We didn't know them. They, you know, big, tall guys, polite, very cordial, shook all our hands, went around, kind of, you know, did the old, uh, you know, the uh, the old BJJ, bow like how are you doing? You know, very respectful. Then uh, Tristan started getting martial arts shorts on and started punching the walls and rah, rah, really kind of gear himself up. We're like, "Are you fighting?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm. Go- I'm- I've stepped in. Like somebody's somebody's like literally done a run. I've got to go and fight. Like, but you're like a kickboxer. He's like, "Yeah, but I'm. You know, I'm going to step in. I don't care. Fuck it." <laughs> So yeah, it was kind of it, it was kind of that. That was kind of my 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 mixing with uh with Tristan. But Andrew, we met at the after party. Cause you know, that they did a really, really good after party. They really, you know, RXF really looked after. I mean, me and Jordan were probably one of the first couple of British fighters that went out. I think we I think I was the first. And um they really looked after us. I mean, you know, drinks were paid for, you know, food was paid for. Andrew came over, shook her hands, spoke to us for a few minutes. Very cordial, very polite, very respectful. <laughs> he had a thing about him. I wouldn't call it, you know, I I wouldn't call it. I, I think his persona now is very put on. He was very cordial, very respectful, very polite. You could yep. definitely tell he had a respect towards current, you know, fellow martial artists. So I think it was more that. So, I mean, he did have, you know, swans of women around him and stuff, you know, <laughs> promo girls, all that kind <laughs> stuff, but we had no idea. I had no idea what you know he would ultimately become into. You know, it was kind of, a, you know, there's a couple of pictures on my Facebook with me with Tristan and stuff in in the back backstage. So it was kind of funny to see the way they've kind of, you know, come into, you know, the way they've uh kind of evolved into these, you know, these magnums of <laughs> of masculinity or, you know, male direction. So Um, yeah, a lot of people have poignant views regarding their, you know, their their messages. You know, if you kind of depict and kind of extrapolate and break down a lot of what they say is very poignant and is very prevalent in what we're missing in the world regarding men. Mm. I have very similar you know, thoughts to the way men should be now and what men are lacking or what society is you know, suppressing from men being allowed to be and what we, what society believes us to be, but what we should be to be better mm. for society. Because I don't think the way men are currently at the men is actually good for society. I think what well, we've seen that, that you know the the effects it's having across the board, across the world, especially in the Western mm. world. And then we had the extreme, you know, in the in the in the other parts of the world, where it's the extreme when it's completely in the other direction. So. Yeah, no, they 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 were cool, you know, you know. I can't claim to know them or be friends with them and but they were, you know, when I did meet them for those brief few moments, very respectful, very polite, very generous with their time and you know, providing people with drinks and stuff, you know. So that aspect of them is is very much not show. That is them. So I kind of, you know, they've gone on to do what they do, regardless of the outcome of how they've stepped to where they get got. No, but nobody of that kind of wealth has a clean path, is my opinion. Nobody accumulates that kind of wealth being a fucking Bible pusher. You know, it just doesn't happen. So the, the, the slack that they get for the webcam and all that, I'm like, fuck off. If you got the opportunity to change your life and to change your family's life, and you had, you know, supposedly, you know, women who were, you know, consenting, by all means, you know. Yeah, by all
0: means. Yeah,
1: if it's agreed upon in you adults, and they have the customers for it, pff, anyone and anyone who says that they wouldn't take, a, you know, a kind of murky direction to accumulate wealth to better their life for them and them and their families, they're lying through their fucking teeth. So, I think fair respect to them.
0: And uh, there's a. I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate this conversation with regards to them correctly, because early on when we started seeing Tate, before anybody even knew Tristan fucking existed in the online <laughs> space. I mean, and people could say that they did and it's like, dude, okay, but let's just be real. Andrew was the, he eclipsed Tristan yeah. by a land landslide. Tristan was kind of like, he sounded almost like the voice of reason that would yeah. come thereafter. Right. A little more clean spoken at the time. Um, and in the beginning, man, don't get me wrong. Like the, the foundation of which Andrew would speak. I was like, yeah, like this fucking right. This makes sense. But there was a lot of shit where I was like, all right, man, like this is for the camera and it's fucking wild. Like there's, there's times where he says shit and I'm like, yo, but she's not your slave, bro. Like it's just unrealistic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there were times where it's like, and don't get, and this is coming from a guy who's like 90% of the time. I'm like, yes, get him, Say it exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, hit the brakes, bro. Like what, what yeah. the fuck are you saying right now? But I will say this. I will say the version of him that we see now. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find anything to disagree with. Mm. I mean, he's uh-huh. just, he's gotten rid of that very rugged, You know machismo, and you could see almost like he's just matured. And now Mm. he's much more articulate, he's much more focused on his presentation and how he may come across. Because end of the day, man, I said this in a podcast a while ago, and I don't even remember who it was with, but my concern was, while it's not his responsibility to fucking raise other people's kids, so I don't know where that comes from. Oh, you're the reason my kid is not, motherfucker. You're parenting. The reason that your kid is all oh, those things you don't like, stop that, blaming it on I, fucking tape. That
1: society now, there's no accountability, is it? Everybody's yeah. looking to blame somebody else. They blame the government. They blame their upbringing. They, there's always something else rather than dealing with the current. Yeah, you know? yeah, we've all yeah. upbringing at stages, you know. No one's had a perfect life. If 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 sure. you know each day was perfect, we wouldn't have fucking tomorrow. So I don't really, and that's why I'm kind of a kind of pessimist regarding life in general when i'm you know i don't see like you know like rocky would say sunshine and rainbows i'm quite i'm not negative but i'm very kind of blunt to well now nah, shit's got to get done first
0: you know mm-hmm. you're a realist yeah
1: massively massive and yes, that, a lot of that has got to do with my self-inflicted experiences myself from growing into a, a young man you know Mm-hmm. and it's taught me that and i have to deal with that with well, my my two boys i have two boys who have a very different way of life and you know my my, my kind of you know behaviors as being a father now and trying to navigate my path to nurture them and to bring them up to the way i want them to be at times is quite harsh mm-hmm. because i didn't have that father figure so i'm really trying i'm really strong burning on my act. you know right. i'm really doing and I am quite tough on him, especially my oldest at the minute. He's 13. I am very tough on him because I have expectations. You know, I want him to have responsibilities, primarily for himself. Mm-hmm. If you don't have accountabilities for himself now, when he's 15, 16, me and him are going to be coming to blows. And I, I would never want that, you know? You know, you know, this kind of, they have this, you know, this, you know, this aloft, you know, kind of me, me, me attitude, you know, i'm the shit you know and it's just like you said social media and stuff has given that kind of you know foresight yeah, and they believe they're that and it's just it fucking does my nothing because <laughs> i've got yeah, it dude. in my own head you know i'm battling it in my own homestead because i didn't have this so yeah, yeah. it's a very life for the way men are now and the way young boys are like you said the direction they're looking at people like tristan and andrew because a lot of the people and the young men that are looking at, at young men like me who didn't, who grew up in single parent households, you know, grew up in shit areas like, you know, like the Tates did. So we can all kind of resonate it to a little bit. You know, we never had no direction. We were, we were suppressed in school. We were told you have to do this, you have to do that. You can't be expressive. You can't be a critical thinker. You can't be um, creative. You know, you do this, you do that. You clock in, you clock out. There's no identity for anybody anymore. Everyone's fucking clones. You know, and it's just you know, I think I think that's why they're so, there's you know, such a, a force behind them, and, and it and it scares people is because more than anything, regardless of the material gains or the alpha male bullshit, you know, just you know, um, just be a strong man mm. or a man, is what I would say. You know, we've forgotten what the you know what the the real attributes to being a real man should be. And I think that just, you know, resonate a little bit with the, you know, with the kind of the contours of what society sees as, you know, success, money, girls, you know, accreditation, you know, stature. But then it also gives us stuff about, you know, values and accountability and work ethic. So it's, you know. It is kind of he has a he has a bundled package that comes across like you said he'll say some really good things, but then he'll reside back to the character where oh it's clickbait or I can get some likes here if I say something a little bit of a fuck you
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah yeah
1: but uh, you know a lot of people do that so yeah you know I mean like like yeah, people, man you could you could use something as simple as fucking Gordon Ramsay would he be as fucking famous if he didn't swear all the fucking time at people and get in their faces in his kitchen.
0: Probably not. No, man. No, not even <laughs> close. Hey man, I'll be look, I do it too, man. There's and yeah. and it's at the end of the day, there's a there's a game that you agree to playing. Yeah. If you say I want to grow, you're not gonna mm-hmm. grow being like everybody else. You yeah. know why my account grew? Well, it's because I'm a little brash, I'm a little harsh. Mm-hmm. I say things that I, people don't want to say. I say the shit that nobody really wants to get into. Yeah. And I just don't give a fuck. You can call yeah. me the racist. You can make a whole post about me. You could create a whole narrative with a group. I couldn't give a solitary fuck what <laughs> anybody has. To, and that's just genuinely how I've always been. Because I know that in yeah. person, you would never act like this. Right? And that's not me saying, oh, big tough guy. It's just no, yeah. but there would... You would be able to feel my presence in front of you and go, like, I don't think I can push that button with this guy. And it's like, well, probably not, because I I will fight you if we have to. I'd much rather talk to you about it. I'd much rather have a good discussion. But what I will say is that people are fucking douchebags online. And I've met a lot of them, man, in person. I used to purposely go to rallies to seek these people out, the ones that were (laughs) online talking shit, and just shake his hand. And all of a sudden, they have this story like, oh, you know, man. Look, I was just having a rough day. And it's like, well, yeah, because we ain't so different, bro. Like, we shouldn't mm. be fucking online behind a screen talking crazy. We're men, bro. Yeah. Like, look, the world's going to shit. And here we are fucking, you're bickering at me online? Dude, we should be working together through this. And it's mm. like, dude, just because you talked a little shit, I'm not a person to hold a grudge. I can give a fuck. You know, like, mm. dude, men are supposed to argue. That's yeah. like, here's what's crazy to me, bro. And I'm actually going to make a, a very detailed video about this. I find it really interesting that we're in a time right now where everybody wants to get rid of AI. Everybody's main goal is to like, we can't move towards, you know, being a fucking machine. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But then why is it that when everybody, you know, starts to speak with emotion, starts to portray who they are, starts to speak with that passion, all of a sudden they're the bad guy or he's crazy or he's extreme or he's. And it's like, hold on. So you, you, you don't want to move towards no emotion, but when emotion is shown, you cry about it. What the fuck do you want, bro? Like, what are you asking for? Do you want me to be me? You know, my father has this problem because I'm very much like, hey, bro, he's trying to like, oh, you, you, you. I'm like, listen, asshole, here's the mirror. Right. How about you look at you and it's like, I just won't let people escape their shit and they don't Mm -hmm. like it because it's like, oh, fuck, like he's not just going to sit there and take it. And it's like, why is anybody taking it? If all of society would just say, I'm tired of being told who to hate. I'm tired of being told what to think. I'm tired of being told how to act. All of a sudden Mm. you get people who are individuals again. So like with your oldest right now. Yeah. What do you notice in him? that truly makes you worried about that next generation arrogance
1: uh unearned arrogance um the sensibility of how naive he is to really how much bullshit is really around i mean the amount of mm-hmm. you know, the, the sense of him feeling he'll get his phone out to try and prove that we'll be having a constructive conversation at the table and he allowed to go and step up, walk away, and pick up his fucking phone and Google it. I'm like, well, this isn't bringing anything to the discussion. If you have to pull up fucking Google or fucking whatever it is, duck, duck Duck Go, whatever, to kind of hold your narrative or hold your discussion, you have nothing in here. Mm. They're all fucking dead up here. They all go to school. They all trim the line. They all walk the post. They all sit there. They all type away. They've got no constructive criticism they've got no questionability they don't discuss anything everything's just they're told they believe it they absorb it that's it that's all it yeah. is and that that worries me because i'm very contrarian and i'm very um i'm very objective and this is why i mean i left school at fucking what 13 years old walked to fuck all I didn't sit at exam i was suspended so many times both my sisters are very academic elders especially um very academic you know um so i wasn't i just didn't sit with me i couldn't sit there and i was looking at these fucking whiteboards and getting told this thing by you know i have a thing about a lot of teachers you know what well, you're telling me about business we're doing business studies but have you ever had a fucking business my mistress has a business have you ever had a fucking business <laughs> You know, you know, getting taught PE. Well, you're a failed athlete. You know, <laughs> I, I've got that. I've got that real kind of negative, you know, you know, yeah. perspective towards these kind of people. You're you're stuck in your bum and You're turning up at a building teaching the next generation without any real life experience, apart from fucking textbooks or what you found online. Where's the life experience in these things? and This is the real issue I have with the school systems. And the, my boys, my oldest, is very academic. He's smart regarding academia but common sense and life logic he has fuck all i mean he 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 didn't the other day he walked he walked to the walked to the shop for my missus to get three items he fucking called her from the shop because he'd forgotten three items he'd forgotten what they were because he's in his own fucking little zombified world on his fucking phone just completely you know loses all sense you know sensical notion to what the task in hand is is, you know and that worries me that definitely worries me these there's no critical thinkers and there's no there's no um there's no creative youth you know they've all got this victim culture and this blame culture and this you know like you say the narrative of arguing and being divided you got to be part of something Mm -hmm. you know i mean my sister's you know she's gay and I, I, I love her to pieces, but me and her come to blows on a lot of different things. As you know, the sure, lot of my yeah. are just she very much toes the line on a lot of things. She did a lot of things in during, you know, the uh, the previous four years that I, I was totally against. So it, it's very conflicting, but I'm very much prevalent to the way my missus you know, she 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 was kind of kind of blase to the the world, really. She, you know, she's very, you know, optimistic. She's quite happy, and she, you know, she has her own little world. As long as things at home are good, she kind of she doesn't watch the news, but she didn't really take what was around in. Well, mm. I, all, I've always been that, you know. We've been we've been together, you know, on and off 14, 15 years. Um, but during like the uh the lockdowns and stuff, I, I really because I was still working, I was having to explain to her, wait, wait a minute, turn that fucking TV off. <laughs> You know, yeah. we're gonna have a chat, and she's kind of resided to more our way of seeing the world. She's become a bit more, you know, seeing it as you know, having to really kind of question shit or just take a step back. People get so pre-absorbed with what they see, and they're kind of, you know, like 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 um Eddie Griffin, the you know the 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 black comedian who did that thing about te- if you've seen his little thing about television. He says about television where it's about you know they're they're, they're showing you something they want you to see mm, nothing yeah. more and that's what kind <laughs> of the way they are at the minute especially with online with the censoring and you know the the, the stuff we're showing like like we said the, the stuff in guards at the minute you know I've got I've got guys that I know that I will, you know are talking about and they you know they're putting up their fucking flags and I'm like well, you couldn't even put it out on the fucking map. you're you're, you're talking about this shit like war is not good, regardless. People on both sides are dying. I don't give a fuck about one side or the other. This shouldn't be happening. The heads above, the Lockheed Martins, the whoever, whoever's, are making fucking money from it. If Mm. all else fails, like they say, like George Carwin, who I absolutely adored, George Carwin says, if all else fails, like Gerald Salenti said, if all else fails, take them to war. We've had the virus, we've had climate, we've had natural disasters. What are we doing now? We had Ukraine and now we're in back to war. Exactly. It always steps within history that they kind of, we end up being in this cycle again. And I feel this is where we are again. And like you like said, this this has created more of a divide again. We've got people here, we're in the UK, we're in England. And we got people. I got people that you see on social media who are putting up. Pal- I, I'm I'm in support of Palestine. And I'm in support of Israel. And they're arguing amongst themselves. I'm like, what are you doing? Don't you realize the bit? Be- what are you doing? It's just it. It doesn't resonate with me at all. It doesn't. I mean, I you know there were stages where I was bickering with people, you know, over you know the lockdowns and the, you know the uh, the virus we won't mention and you know you know mm. shit like that you know, the narrative that was taken, you know, I, I don't think any kind of government overreach should be allowed when it comes to people. Stop. Stop. God, I don't give a shit. What the fucking virus is. If it stops you having the ability to feed your own family, fuck you. I'm going to go out and feed my family. You know, mm. you do your shit. You stay at home, you, whatever. I've got to feed yeah. my family. Yeah. But you know, you know, like, you know, like here, you know, <laughs> if, if there weren't handouts and stuff, people would have gone to fucking work. <laughs> People, the virus wouldn't have been so scary if people had to feed their families and weren't getting a paycheck in their account every fucking month. So it's it, like, like you said, it goes into a circle of accountability, and this is the thing I have with my thirteen-year-old. He has no accountability for his behavior, or his repetitive patterns, where it kind of it scares me a little bit because I'm like, how many times do we have to debate about the same things, about the same behavioral patterns, about the same things you're expected to do? Make your fucking bed, get yourself up in the morning. We expect him to do exercises every morning because, you know, he's 13 years old, but he struggles to do five push ups. His six year old brother can do 25 without breathing, proper yeah. one. Yeah. So that that scares me. I'm like, if you can't, you know, and he, but yet he'll come home from school and tell us about, you know, a year, year 11, a senior, you know, charging past him and barging him and he falls into the bush. I'm like, but if you actually could contain and hold your own body weight, son, Things like this doesn't don't happen. We don't expect you to be a fucking war machine and go out there and fucking fight people. I don't want that. That's not you. You don't have my makeup. You're very much your mum, which is, you know, good. But I expect you to have at least a clink of armour where you can hold your own fucking body weight when shit does go south.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: Defend yourself enough to fucking <laughs> run, you know? So, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, things I'm, you know, battling with, as you you know, as I'm finding out a lot of dad's, Deal with, with, especially their boys. Um, but it's very much I'm winging it because I don't have that kind of background because sure. I never grew up with it. So I grew up with a mum who was very stoic, very harsh, very harsh, especially on me as a, as a boy and being the only boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to kind of engineer not to treat him the way I was treated. I, you know, my growing up, it was very physical, it was a lot of, you know, smacking and hitting and kicked out of the house and not getting fed and you know things like that real tough the way we grew up but I think if I did that to my boy he'd crumble (laughs) you know yeah oh
0: yeah
1: engineer it a little bit differently so yeah the way the way society is it's kind of you know you know me and my missus have to sit around sometimes and kind of they've just you know had their summer holidays and, um, you know, he has groups of friends that he's with and they just sit on their WhatsApp or their fucking Snapchat or the fuck it is and speak to each other. One of them lives three minutes down the road. I'm like, yeah, why haven't you fucking gone and knocked on his door? Why are you talking to each other five minutes away on your phones? Go and fucking how? You know, <laughs> it's that's yeah. the way has become. They're all online. They're all zombified. They're all eclipsed to this fucking screen. And it, it it doesn't resonate with me, and it frustrates me a lot. So, yeah, it's kind of a it's a battle, <laughs> as you know yourself. Being a parent is
0: it's it's a battle. Yeah. So, yeah, man, it's uh... a, <clears throat> and you know, like I'm constantly trying to find the line of what is just me trying to push my my childhood onto them, right? Because we're always going to have a perception of the way things should be. And, you know, the generation before us looks at us and they're like, oh, well, this isn't how it should be. And eventually our kids are going to look at the next kids and they're going to mm-hmm. be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't how it should. And we're just going to keep going through that cycle. So look, we swore that my daughter would only get a phone when she was like 18. When when <clears> you can <throat> afford your own, then you'll get it. But, you know, she's homeschooled. When she goes to the community center, I want to have a means of communication in case something happens. So, and it's like, you know what? You're going to need to learn to adapt to the phone, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's just be honest, man. That's it's part of us now, it's part of society. It's integral. I can live my entire life, I can make tens of thousands of dollars sitting here on my phone right now and never leaving it's my choice to make sure that i go to the gym damn near every day it's my choice to get out to boxing and do my thing It's my choice to constantly do these things because that's how i'm bred it's yeah. different but i look at my daughter and it's like hey did you work out today like no but my ankle still hurts like yeah no shit you're gonna have to work and strengthen the things around it or else it's not just gonna fucking heal itself like what are you doing to help you no well i just lied in my bed today and didn't like okay so you you woke up you like you 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 made your bed, you ate your breakfast, you did your schoolwork, and then the rest of the day you just sit there. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to be better at anything. Nothing at all. You just you want to get better at watching the tablet? Like what what's the it's tricky what's with her, that? right? Because it's a little girl and they just they they mature different. So for me, I've kind of been like, yeah, I'm gonna just kind of leave that alone. I'll let my wife handle that. But with my son, it's like, hey, I know you're only six, but three times a week minimum you better be working out every time that I'm down there hitting the bag. You should probably come just last night. He was in there hitting the bag and, you know, doing burpees and, you know, gassing them out. And all he wants to do is, you know, throw a couple shots. My hands are sweaty. Take the gloves off. Yeah. Like, no, 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 man. Like I know your hands are sweaty. It feels gross, right? Good. Suck it up. All right. Keep hitting yeah. the bag. right? And that's, that's just, that's what they require. Like, it's yeah. like, I see it in his eyes. That like, fuck this blows, but it's like, yes, man, life blows. There's yeah. a lot of shit that you don't want to do. There's a lot of shit that I don't want to do. Every day I wake up is shit. I don't want to fucking do, <laughs> but I do it anyway because there's yeah. no fucking choice. And that's just yeah. the reality of the world. That's the reality of being a man, especially. But I do want to touch on this whole Israel Palestine thing before we continue with this masculinity because I do have a message to everybody and I'm actually going to clip this because I know a lot of people aren't getting it through their thick fucking skulls for all of these conservative individuals who are saying that we need to entice a war and Jordan Peterson with this, oh, we got to just destroy these people and bro. And and, yeah, Shapiro too. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't like his message at all, man, because it's very simple to me. Right. If you say that I'm emotional with something that I saw online and my emotion says they need to go to war, Mm -hmm. let me remind you, motherfuckers, of something. What you may be emotional about right now and you may want to see these people, you know, revenge happen and and, and all this, you know, vengeance and war being the way this is going to be gone for you guys. In a month, out of your psyche, completely gone. But what you're asking for is going to change the lives of those people forever. It's selfish. It's stupid. And if you really want war, put your fucking money where your mouth is, Mm -hmm. hop on a fucking plane from your comfy little living room in America, go pick up a fucking gun. And go do it yourself, you fucking cowardly pussies. I'm so tired of hearing these fat, fucking, rich, filthy Ben Shapiro sitting on your couch with your little fucking cap on, always protected by your security, talking about you want war. Motherfucker, do it yourself. And I will tag you in this because I'm tired of your shit. I'm so sick of that message, man. Like, oh, so babies and women are being affected and and killed. And it's like, yes, so let's go fucking kill more just because they're on the other side. That sounds like a great plan. It sounds like a great plan. Let's do something that we think is completely immoral, but just on the other side, because we agree with this one guy, what the fuck are we doing?
1: I can't remember who it was. that was said that war would stop if politicians, children would, were forced to go to war instead of somebody else's.
0: I don't know who said that, but fuck yeah,
1: and it was politicians or people in Congress or people in government. If it was their children who were forced to put boots on and go to fucking war, war would never fucking start. Absolutely. Because everybody's got an entity to send somebody else's fucking kid to die. Yeah. Everybody's got a, a press that green button for somebody else's kid to go do the dirt, to go pay the penultimate price. You know, it's, that's what sickens me. Like you said about accountability, these people can make these decisions. These people can express these opinions online because it doesn't directly affect them really. They've, they're within that group, that sector. So they've got, like you said about Ben Shapiro, he's very expressive because he's Jewish. But he said, you know, he was asked in an interview on Piers Morgan, he was asked, I think he was, um, have you have you got any, you know, people close to your family who have been affected by it? No. But, but we'll hold fucking rail it in, then. You know, what about the people in in the Gaza? What about the you know the Palestinians who don't want to fucking be part of this shit? Well, you know, it's always the people, the normal people on the ground that are the casualties. It's not the terrorist groups either side, and I would say both sides. Yeah, absolutely. They're They're both inflicting death. It's they don't die first. It's the people drawn into the fucking shit show that pay the penultimate price. It's the normal families. It's the it's the working man whose house gets destroyed, you know, life changing forever. You know, it's those people. It's not the people standing in front of the fucking camera at the microphone talking about it, saying we need to do this. It's the people you don't fucking see exactly. that pay the penultimate price. And it's just it's sickening. It shouldn't sickening, happen. Bro. But, you know, yeah. It just, you know, this is why I haven't risen. To it. You know, I see, you know, I've got friends, and I'm just like, what, what are you? Why are you taking sides? You know, war isn't good for anybody. There is always death in it. There's always death to the normal man. Yeah. It is all death to normal man. The people who make decisions walk away. Most of them make fucking millions from it. You know, yeah, there's always, always, wealth in uh, in disasters. There's always wealth in war, and, and I—that's what sickens me about it.
0: You know. Yeah, it needs dude, to I stop. have a—I have this thing that uh, a lady made me privy to today. Um, and it's Mossad, right? The, you're. Here's one thing that I don't understand, and I would just like everybody to just think about this for a moment. Mossad is so well. Uh, versed in security and and able to you know invade a place without you even knowing that they're there they can infiltrate any they're that fucking good like there's a strong argument that jeffrey epstein was Mossad, right like getting a lot of intel on on you know very very prevalent you know members of of congress and But that's a whole other tangent. But the point is, so they literally know every single device, every single everything around there. And this attack was just poof. Like no Mm -hmm. one knew about it, right? Like all these U.S. people are just investing in all these fucking war companies and all of it making 35, 40, 50% on their investments. And then when you start reading the Mossad and The motto of of the Israel intelligence service, Mossad, is by way of deception, thou shall do war. Mm. Brother, when mm. she told me this, it was oh. like, dude, this couldn't be more true. And let me let me let me ask the public a question here. Over 75 years, this conflict has been going on. Nobody cared. There's. You know, you're talking about, oh, oh, I see dead, you know, mothers and dead babies. And it's like, yeah, well, you do know that in Gaza, they shut off all the water, all the resources. And there's people from Israel right now drinking out of their fucking taps, making videos about it and putting it online. Like, haha, I have basic necessities of life and you don't. Right. So it's like you have people acting completely irrational to other people, regardless of the side that they're on. Mm -hmm. But all these Americans that I hear that really fucking care about women and children. Hey, Mr. Shapiro, before you continue acting like the complete little cuck asshole that you are, I would like to ask you why you haven't decided to look at all the people infected or affected by all of the drone strikes that America lets go. Why aren't we talking about that? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we talking about the fact that Ukraine has been killing its own fucking people for 35 years? let mm-hmm. we talk about that then? Yeah. This is the problem. And this is how you realize who's really who and who's designed to emotionally charge the public. And I've been saying this for years, one of the oldest Freemasonic things to say is, hey, when you need a hero, we'll provide you with one.
1: Mm-hmm. The flag people.
0: That's it, and that's what's happening. The puppet show, right? And now what's happening, well now you have the left and the right finally agreeing. Mm-hmm. But they're agreeing on war. Yeah, bro. War is not going to help more more war because there's groups all over the world right now of Palestinians and and people from Israelis that are together having parties and embracing each other. And, and when I hear this thing, like I've gotten so many DMs that I haven't fucking answered to. And for all of you that think I'm going to answer you while you're highly emotional and unreasonable, I don't have time for you. Get fucked. So I'm not going to sit there in my DMs and battle with you all day. I said what I said. Deal with it. Um, But if these people have the ability to get along with each other, then, then how are we saying, yo, you guys should go fucking just get rid of each other, bro? Like, go turn each other's countries into a fucking wasteland. Yes, because that's a great idea for all of us, right, to just continually harm the innocent. Because end of the day, that's all I hear, man. I don't hear, oh, this person right, this person wrong. I could point to years and decades of Israel Israeli corruption, right? Mm-hmm. And why they're like America's little golden child in the Middle yeah. East. But why? Yeah. Why? As as far as I'm concerned right now, this is one of those times where I believe the media should just shut the fuck up. Yo, let them deal with it how they'd like to deal with it. Do I believe that those terrorists who did that shit need to get strung up on fucking trees? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, handle the terrorists. Hmm. Don't let an entire nation of people suffer for the decisions of a few morons, man. They're and white like, even
1: party with it, aren't they?
0: Yeah. And we see like all these protests where they're like, oh, well, it's written in in this book that they, you know, listen to that that they're going to mobilize all over the world. And I'm like, dude, everyone's just mad right now. Like, do you really think like, do you think you don't know your neighbor that well? That's just another fear tactic, bro. I know plenty of Palestinians. I'm about to have one on Instagram live soon. Me and him ain't going to war. He thinks this is all fucking nonsense. Like, guy, people, we're not so different, and I'm so tired of being told who to hate and who I shouldn't like. And obviously, it doesn't affect me because I have my own fucking mind, right? But it's really disappointing, man, to see all these giant influencers and these these public speakers and these prevalent figures just... (sighs) just hyping this up dude and like do people not recognize it's like pandemic after pandemic and war after war and it's just the next thing after the next thing after the next like when has it ever been like this do we not remember that this is not fucking life bro like you went through your entire bare knuckle career which is like over a decade long without fucking hearing any of this shit you had sars and people were like nah i'm good and then it just went away (laughs) right yeah. So anyway, man, that's my that's my little spiel on. I know everybody's yeah. been like waiting for a detailed explanation. That's about as detailed as I want to go into it. I think it's stupid. I think it's useless. There's evil people out there doing evil things. They should suffer for their actions, but them in specific, leave the innocent alone. That's where I stand. It's very simple. You can't
1: the same brush. Exactly. You can't. you can't. And that's that's the thing like you said about influences. It's in the wording. Mm. They're there to do that. They're there to guide you. They're there to make you think this way. Because they've mm-hmm. got fucking something here. They got an agenda here. And it's very much, like you said, it's very prevalent in the way they use their platforms. They say they're doing it for truth and what they're feeling, but it's not. You know, they know which direction they're going, you know. And it's yeah, it's disgusting. And it's, you know, it's 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 it's, it's never necessary. Because the outcome is never, is never long term, it's never long term, it's, it's never permanent always in retaliation it could be 10 years down the line you know just like in the 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 other war that now no one else is fucking gives a shit about because this one's happening what about the people over there you know (laughs) it's just you know libya syria you know the african continents where there's genocides going on all the time this is happening everywhere but because everyone is focused and fixated on what they fucking see on that tv or what they Mm. see on or what fucking avatar they're going to change on their social fucking media to what virtual signal they got to follow. The divide is just as big as it's ever been. People have got no identity so the way they feel that they've got something or some purpose is to tread with whatever narrative is being fed. But this narrative, whichever way, is about divide, hatred, and weakness and penultimately fear. Because fear and are weak individuals weak individuals are controllable and that's the end game that's the end game because when you're a pussy you do whatever you see and that's just my objective on this whole fucking mess you know across every every perspective like you said of what's been going on the last you know few years no one was affected by shit that was happening 5 years ago people were numb to it oh, i was just you know they see a little bit of it and they kind of just go on with their day now because it's kind of entrusted with the propaganda people have so become so emotionally enthralled and drawn into it they're taking it personally and causing a big fucking shit show about it and it's just yeah it's just virtual signaling wasn't a thing five years ago but now it's just everyone feels they need to be part of this fucking club whichever club it may be, and the divide in humanity and society is just, like you said, about neighbours. You know, people don't talk to each other, you know, as it is, and this is why the conflict is there, because nobody discusses things in public. They bitch and they fucking talk under their breaths. They won't speak to people in the street. they walk past them, but they'll blast each other online. You know, they'll debate over some fucking picture or some post that somebody shared or some something that somebody shared in some stream, but they won't ever actually have a, you know, constructive debate with somebody face to face, like you said, because you, you know, you wouldn't get the essence of their real presence and the humanity of that individual to feel like there's actual feeling and, you know, recourse behind the way they're talking. It's just emotionless when it's online, but then it's emotional because people are expressing what they're feeling the other side of the fucking screen. So it's kind of all a shit show. It's kind of all over the place, isn't it? it's it's very you know it's a dangerous dangerous narrative that the world is in at the moment the way people express themselves the way people debate and discuss social media should have been a thing about what we're having constructive you know sense of light-hearted but then also deep conversations between two men you know who are impersonable don't feel very sensitive about shit aren't embarrassed or upset if somebody doesn't agree with them doesn't let them affect their fucking day (laughs) and just, you know, learns from it and grows with it. And that's what society is lacking, massively lacking.
0: So, so what do you think? Because this is a great segue to say, okay, we know where people are at. We know how people are. We see what society is being turned into. What do you feel is the best way for us to continue forward with the youth? With the youth?
1: In a sense, it's, you know, sounds a bit kind of rudimental. I think they need to restrict online access and get people out and about again, mm. socializing and learning how to, you know, the logistics of building yourself as an individual because you're a product of your environment. If you're sat in your room you're empty you're a vessel you've got no culture to you you've got no you've got no uh, experience it's all what you feel up here and what you feel in here by what you see on that fucking screen they need to you know like they do in china they restrict you know regardless of what people think of china the way they seem to be regardless of all their faults their perspective was positive regarding you know whether it is by the ccp but it seems to work for them you know we we need to definitely you know limit people's attributes to the way they live online and people people can you know our youth construct the way they live online they all go through fucking snapchat they've all got to share their tiktok shit they live their lives for that dopamine hit and for that you know accreditation and that yay which lasts half a fucking second, you know, there's no, there's no, um, they need to have a sense of socializing again and kind of growing with them, with each other. Like we did as kids, you know, we used to run the streets with each other and, you know, you kind of, you know, you wouldn't hear from each, if you didn't see each other, you wouldn't see, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what each other were doing. There was no channels to do it. So when you did see each other, you get the absorption of information. You get that real kind of velocity of emotions. Like, wow, shit, you did this, you did that. There'll be that real surprise to it. Whereas now there's this melancholy, kind of damp, dull, just flat line. the way the youth live their lives now. Because there's no expectation. Everything's immediate. Everything's that quick dopamine hit. The attention span's gone the, the communication's gone the hypersensitivity there the emotions there you know the erratic behavior is there because there's no accountability on both sides both genders uh well, we also have a different topic <laughs> but um yeah i just think yeah they need to restrict you know parents need to be more accountable regardless whether you're a mm. single parent or, or or your nuclear family you need to watch your kids you need to make your kids like we, we we push our kids to be very social we're always fighting with our eldest about being online and we we know the necessity of him needing to socialize with people because his communication skills are dampened because when he doesn't he can't hold a he can't hold eye contact with us because he runs out of shit to say or he can't express himself because he's literally got that limited ability mm. to extrapolate what he's feeling because it's very much like put it online so you know everyone looks at a state but it, it definitely starts at home it definitely starts at home because if parents don't stand up to it and make their kids accountable individuals at home and more socially you know strung individuals at home then the minute they step out of that door they become what they become and people have got too much charm on their hands but not really get a lot done because mm. they are on their phones or watching that TV or whatever and it needs to be very much where people need to communicate with each other more children and you know the youth really need to spend time around each other because you learn about you know yourself by the people you're around you learn what your circle truly is you can definitely get a, you know a feel sight of what you know the groups you hang in whether you really fit within that group and it's not about a fucking flag online or a fucking avatar on your fucking whatsapp it's about a real genuine constructive group of people that you nurture and you develop with and that's what our, the youth is lacking because it's very much everyone's very secular everyone's very singular everywhere everybody lives very much individual like, we're all fucking birdcaged. All our use of birdcaged. Our parents aren't accountable because they're just as bad. They're sat on their fucking phones. I see it all the time walking around. You know, we see it when we're, we don't go to restaurants much anymore because, you know, just we can do better at home. <laughs> it's more 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 constructive at home. Um, but you go out, you see, you know, we see these families and they're just, you know, the parents are sat there debating between themselves and the kids on the side of them they're sat there on their phones. It's like... You're supposed to be a family where's where's that gone whether it's a mother and a daughter the daughter sat there like the world's come to an end on her fucking phone sulking away bitching about her mum probably to her, <laughs> you know to her friends on whatsapp and mum's like staring at the fucking lights because she's got no concept of how to communicate with her daughter so it's very much i believe it starts at home and that's very much the narrative we kind of really try and push in my home where, you know, we have we have meals together. I work away a lot, but <laughs> when I'm home, we all have our meal together, our evening meal together. And one of the first conversations we have between our boys is we ask them how their day's been. They both go, good. No, you have to expand on that. And we will sit there until they fucking do, you know. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's a drawn-out process and it's frustrating and it's time-consuming. But we know in the long run, you know, our time, we may lose it at the fucking table trying to draw blood from a fucking stone, trying to get our kids to communicate with us. <laughs> but in the long run, we know, I know from my upbringing that that's very much going to be prevalent in the way they become as young men. Because it suited me well, you know, my my, my growing up, my... Uh, Upbringing wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the most structured, the most secure. It was, there was a lot of things not right with it. But we always had a shouting match. <laughs> Everyone knew where they stood. You could rant and rave, say what you fucking liked. You know, you couldn't swear or curse at my mum, but you could fucking tell her exactly what you fucking thought. You may be sat outside on the porch for a few fucking hours afterwards, but you she would never make you feel like you were afraid to fucking confront her. You mm. would suffer the consequences if she didn't agree with it, but she would never make you feel like you couldn't confront her. And that has evolved as we became adults. And this is why me and my mum have a very healthy relationship, because I don't give a shit. And that's probably where my uh, my bluntness and my velocity to the way I debate and argue with people, I don't give a shit. I don't care enough about you or I don't care enough about what you think of me not to tell you exactly what's on my mind. And that's the way I live my life. I'm, I've gained people. I've lost people. No fucks given. And that's why I think life needs to be And our youth need to learn that. Really. They need to learn. They need to be expressive and not be outwardly erratically emotional, which is what they are. This is why we have so many problems in our youth. People need to, you know, resonate to learn, to be stoic and be calm and communicate not lash out screaming, ah, get their fucking phones out and fucking film it for clicks. That needs to be eradicated. That needs to stop. People need to have cordial discussions because it's just the communication in, this, in society and in our youth is just not there. This is why there's problems at home. This is why there's screaming and shouting. This is why there's drug use. This is where there's violence. It all kind of builds up because nobody wants to open their fucking mouth. Nobody wants to put their head above the parapet and go, you know what? There's something wrong here. Mm. That's my kind of perspective on what needs to happen with the youth, but I'll just get called a scaremonger.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and hey, dude, I totally agree. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier is like, you know, you shouldn't have the, you know, any sort of a fear to be able to simply speak your fucking mind, man. And if you've been walking on eggshells with somebody your entire life and it's like, oh, my God, it's like my parent or a cousin or an aunt or a boss. is like, dude, you are always going to be beneath them until you decide to tell them, you know what, man, how you feel is not my concern. OK, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how to feel. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you how to act, but I sure as fuck am going to tell you what it is when you're here. And if you have a fucking problem, address it. Don't walk around for years like a little bitch holding a grudge with this and then have the nerve to say it's this person, that person, this person, that. Dude, that shit is corny as fuck. And I tell my kids all the time, man, if you have something to say to me, you're not in trouble. <clears throat> say exactly what you got to say. I won't even respond. If you feel that I have fucked up in some way, you have full permission to tell me exactly what I've done wrong. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, but you no, – shut the fuck up and take it. Just <clears throat> let them say what they got to say. Even even if it's something where the kid is just trying to get something off their chest and you may just be the target, well, then you need to be emotionally mature enough. You know that thing that we call – it's uh, what's that word? Adulting. You know what <laughs> I mean? Where you can just be a fucking adult and sit there and just say, like, okay, well, I'm not going to take this personally. I just – I would rather my kid be able to say, you know, be comfortable. I don't need to agree. I don't need to support it. But I'm going to sit here and allow you to say what you got to say. Because what we have is this generation of – and I'll be honest, man, like the generation that that is like my parents' generation, for instance – Bro, the entitlement of these people is astronomical, dude. They feel like your life should just come to a fucking halt. To coddle their little feely wheelies whenever they're offended about something. Motherfucker, I got a life to live. I have shit to do. I do not have time to concern myself with your little woe is me attitude. That's on you, bro. And if you don't want to partake in you know, certain aspects of life, if you want to miss out on holidays and Christmases because you're a douche, that's on you, bro. But stop making it sound like it's everybody else's problem. And I know a lot of people can relate. Because a lot of people are too afraid to say things. And I've, dude, I'll be honest with you. I just came to this, this, you know, decision for myself in my life where it's like, no, I've set a fucking boundary with you people. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Yeah. I'm not asking you to. I'm just telling you that, hey, you're not going to be able to manipulate me into thinking a certain way because your little feelings might get hurt. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. There's never been any concern over my feelings. So why am I always putting out more than I'm getting back? This is a shitty investment, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's what's the return rate on this investment? So I'm investing into you all the time, all the time, all the time, coming to you, bringing the kids to you while I'm working. You're retired. The fuck Mm am I always coming to you for? But then they throw it back at you. Oh, I've always done blah, blah, blah for you. And it's like people need to start to recognize that, okay, you can hear that. You can hear their side, their opinion, what they're telling you, and be able to say, that's fine, but get fucked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just, (laughs) if we're constantly online communicating and that's the only time, Mm -hmm. well, then it's like, I would much rather have a debate with somebody in person. I'd rather sit here like this, even on Zoom and have a debate. You don't have time to sit there on your Google and formulate an idea and, you know, come up. with Well, because then that's not you. That's not what you believe. That's not why you're mad because you didn't know. Motherfucker, Mm -hmm. you said it. Stand on it right now. And all of a and sudden, you sudden know. they're like, oh. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the problem is everybody thinks they know until you know what it is, dude. And it's as simple as this. We live in a time where nobody knows how to have their ideas challenged. Yeah, everybody <laughs> thinks they know. They think they know everything. They'll curate scenarios in their head of what really (laughs) happened and then how they perceive it to make them the victim now. And you're looking at these people like, dude, had we just talked about it right after it happened? Like, if you had the problem, come speak to me. I have no problem talking to you. But why is it that because you're offended makes you right? That's not how it goes. If you feel your own apology, you can feel that doesn't mean you are. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Just because yeah. you feel as though somebody has hurt your feelings and you feel like they should come and address your feelings doesn't mean that that's the way it's going to be, bro. And you need to be accepting of that. And that's why my children a lot of the time, dude, and it may sound harsh for most, but most are pussies. So I really don't take any advice from them. I'm very real with them. Yeah, I don't live in one of those households where it's like there's no swearing. There's no and no 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 we we curse we there's th- look I gotta be absolutely real with them because the world doesn't fucking care uh, I'm not swearing no. at them I'm not calling them names no. but it's you know if I'm like yo I've asked you to fucking clean your room how many times now are you mm-hmm. just gonna sit here and do absolutely fucking nothing or are you gonna go get something done mind you mind you the three times before that I was like hey today I gotta get you to clean your room yeah Aren't when you're
1: cool. Called- doesn't work you need that reactional word you All need right. that that hit word we're the same my missus is you you can tell when she's hit boiling point because she will go oh bloody hell fuck's sake you know at, at the kids just fucking listen and mm-hmm. they, they freeze and their 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 bottom lip drops i might uh, mm-hmm. see now she it stepped up now it's gone from being nice mummy now now she's pissed Mm. Don't piss her off. You know, this is it now. This is, you know, boundaries are broken. Consequences come into it now. It's no longer a discussion to do something. If you don't do your shit, this is what's going to fucking happen. Mm. So, but it, you know, like we said, it's always the debating the, the boundary of pushing, isn't it? It's always mm. their pushing because, you know, a lot of them could. If you're always throwing those words at them, they mean fuck all. They're numb to it. It's yeah. like beating. But if you bring it out now and again as a fucking, mm-hmm. you know, ammo that like, oh shit you know like my, my youngest I give him you know he back chats me quite a bit he's a cocky little prick but he's you know I love that about him but there's times where it's not needed and mm-hmm. I'll give him a look around the back of your head and I'm like don't you fucking
0: talk to me like that mm-hmm. and he's if he only knew him. if he only yeah. knew who his dad was too yeah. like boy yeah. you, know, you know what I could do to you but you're my kid so I won't yeah <laughs> I
1: said that to him. I said I could have picked you and your brother up and I could squish you both in the bin without even taking a breath and their mum's laughing because she knows I mean, they don't know who dad was. I'm just dad. I've got belts up and stuff. And my youngest goes on about Dad. You've got so many trophies in the shed and shit. I'm like, yeah, but to me, they're fuck all now. My job and my position now, my, my status now is to be as good a father as I can be. Mm. And if that means me being the enemy for a few years, fuck it. I've said that to my oldest about that, you know, he discussion with them, like, because he'll get upset with me, like, you, he'll speak to his mum, go, dad's always, you know, dad's always having a go at me. And she's like, well, what does he have a at you? The same fucking four things you talk about every day. The same fucking four things. It gets to a point where it gets fatiguing. When is shit going to change? And we're getting, you know, it's at the point where I'm like, well, shit doesn't happen. You at the age now, if you can't look after your own fucking self and do your own shit that you're required to do every morning, you lose out on this, this, and this, mate. Sorry, no fucks given. You can tell your mate, you can tell your granddad, you know, and then the, then then the eyes open up. Oh shit's gonna get done, you know. So it's yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, very much it's uh you know you throw those big words at them again, the threat, the real threat when our. When our posterior um, emotion changes from, you know, telling them to fucking, you know, the adultness comes out rather than the parent, the cordial parent, the adult, shit can change. So, but it's about guiding and directing it correctly. Isn't it? So, or what we perceive as correctly, because no family is the same. And this is the, the discussion I was, you know, no family is fucking normal because you wouldn't want to be fucking normal. Normal families suck.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you know what I mean, my my family are very colourful. We're very individual as characters, you know. So it's very my boys are very different. They look quite similar, but they're very fucking different, very yeah. different. So they're both quite sensitive, quite emotional, but then they're not. So mm-hmm. they can quite be quite robust and quite nasty and quite tough. So yeah, it's all about the, the the you know the the direction you have to take them as a you know as a family. But like you said, it's about you kind of got to find that route that you've got to follow and fucking stick with it and fuck everybody else. Cause everyone chirps in and says shit about everything about everyone's got an opinion about how everyone else lives their lives when their shit ain't in order, mm. you know, because everyone could sow that perception about the way their life is when shit is rotting away behind the scenes, you know, because if that about accountability. It's just not there. You know, there's very few of us that are actually accountable for what we say. And like, like you said, we'll say what we fucking say, fucking deal with it. I've owned it. And what? Shit always lands with that other person. They're always the ones that are like flustering like fucking pigeons, not knowing what the fuck to say to it. It's because they know we've owned it. We're being strong with it. We're standing with it. They don't know what the fuck to do. Because there's no emotion behind it. There's no kind of erratic kind of, you know, tangents of shit. We've said what we're going to fucking say. We've meant it. We fucking blind-eyed straight in your eyes about it. You don't know what the fuck to do. And that's the problem with people. They're Like you said, they're pussies. We're absolute pussies. But we're the aggressive ones. We're the outliers. We're the, you know, we're the aggressive ones. We're the toxic masculinity, whatever the fuck they call it. <laughs> it's just, yeah it just it need, it needs to stop people need to fucking just you know
0: fucking just just communicate <laughs> yeah man no i i couldn't agree more dude and i just also want to you know be able to preface this by saying that simply because we are talking about being the um you know more disciplinary uh parents in our households that has absolute that that's that 1% of how the time with my children goes because uh, you know how people are, right? They all think, oh, you know, he just went on a podcast, and it's just two guys right. talking about how they swear at their kids, rather than being like, well, dude, that's that's not even close. You know what else my kids are able to do? My son never needs to go to my wife and and be, you know, like beat around the bush. He comes straight to me and says, like, you know, I got to talk or something's wrong. And dude, I just shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. I let him say what he's got to say. If he's got to cry about it, if he's got to yell about it, if he's got to scream about it, and when we're done, I just give him a hug, bro. And I let them know that it's all good because there's one big mistake that, uh, you know, the generation before us made and it was that you need to be stone cold all the time. Tough and it's love. like, yeah. And it's like, dude, there's a place for that. I do believe mm-hmm. that, you know, while you're, if you have your mission, knock out your mission first and then show emotion later. I think that there's a difference between being a bitch mm-hmm. and, you know, just being human. Now, if you're going through some shit, like if my son say, you know, it's been his big fucking day, he's been training for this for months, and it's finally here, and then he goes to do it, and he fucking fails. Mm. Like, what am I just supposed to tell him? Oh, don't feel that. Just eat it. Be a man. Nah, man, it sucks. Mm. Let it out, bro. You got to cry about it. You cry about it. It is Mm. what it is. Now, you know, there's things where it's like, oh, never cry in front of your woman. Like, dude, I've been on mine for like 16 years, bro. There's times where I just fucking melt down. You know what I mean? It's like I'm fucking tired of everything right now. And if I don't let this out, yeah, it's like if I don't let this out, I'm going to hurricane this house. And that can't happen. So just let me fucking be. You know what I mean? Just give me a minute. And there's never a question about it. Right. Because it's always the. I'm always very stoic in my approach. I go out, I do what I got to do. It's stressful, but I leave that shit at the door. I come in, I'm the best father and the best husband that I can be, but I'm also fucking human. And there are times in which yeah, I you know what? I just do need to sit there, not say a word and just let me fucking ramble on about whatever the fuck I'm rambling on yeah, about.
1: Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah bro, just like- give
0: me that give me that like 10 15 minutes to just Fucking say some of it may not make any sense, but let me right. just fucking there. You know what I mean? Let me just fucking yeah. throw it out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same. I, you know, I'll have some shit at work and stuff. <clears throat> I'll have a kind of bad phone calls I've dealt with or. And I'll, and I'll, I'll rant to my missus when I get in. And she'll be like, Hey. And then she'll just bring up something really light hearted. Like, what are we going to do for this? Or I just saw this. Or somebody did something silly. Somebody spilled something on their top at the shop today. And he just like
0: you know, <laughs> needed that. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like, I- I'll debate and I, you know, people could think whatever, you know, regarding the way my parenting is, but my, you know, I can have an argument with my, but my, my eldest, either of my boys, we can debate and they could be punished, but I'll hug them and kiss them and mm-hmm. tell them I love them, even if five minutes later we've been arguing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I said, you're a pain in the fucking ass, but I fucking love you to pieces. And mm-hmm. I will hold it, I will tell him that. I rub his head and I tell him, you know I love you, don't you? I absolutely love you to pieces. This is why I get the way I get. Mm-hmm. I said, the way you, you would have to ever worry is when I stop giving a fuck. Yep. The reason why we are where we are is because I give a fuck. I never ignore you. I never tell you. I'm, we don't tell our kids to shut up. It's not a word we use in this house. It's not a word we use. I grew up with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like,
0: fucked
1: up. You know, It's that would be it. You'd be silent. We don't have that in this house. So like, boys, come here. Like, chill, chill is a word we use. Like, wind it in, you know, wind it in, you know, you know. So the, we're very kind of, we, we're very, yeah. Uh, we have to kind of, you know, have these concepts about how we, how we uh, communicate with them, you know. I have to be very, yeah. uh, I have to be really resonate about how I construct the way I speak and the language I use in my boys because they aren't me. They're not as thick skinned as me, which I, I, I don't want them to be because there's there's parts of me which, which are
0: I hear you. Yeah, man, uh, you
1: know, not very sympathetic. I'm not, I'm not very, you know, empathetic. I struggle with, you know, outpour of, you know, emotions. If somebody's crying, I'm like, what the fuck do I do? I haven't sometimes I don't have that in me. Because I'm very much, I grew up as, you know, I grew up myself. I grew myself up having to deal with it like fucking suck it up, buttercup. You know, <laughs> so it's like seeing my boys getting upset about stuff. Like that. I had to kind of like, be a bit more nurturing. And go, what's up? What happened? You know, when my my eldest got was getting bullied years ago, I wanted to fucking rain havoc. You know, and I was like, well, you know, but then I was like, well, wait a minute, he's came, he's came to me and his mum and told us, mm. and that that kind of resonated with me. I'm like, fucking, you know, oh, I never had that. Mm-hmm. I. I- never felt I could go to somebody. The fact, I must be doing something right. The fact that he could come to us with the confidence we deal with it. We did. We went fucking down there. We had a word with the fucking leader down there and they fucking it found out that this kid had been bullying, not just my son, but a few other kids. And then it kind of, because we were quite poignant about it and we were, you know, my missus and myself, we're not, we're, we're not exactly whimperers when we approach people. We look a certain way, you know, especially me. So it kind of, you know, opened up his eyes like, shit, you got to fucking do something about this, because this is my baby. This is my boy. You're fucking with it. Mm-hmm. You fuck my I'll fuck your world up. You know? And that's where my my kids kind of know that. I may be harsh and I may be tough on them, but I will fucking back them. You know? We may not agree on shit, but like like i said to my eldest, I said, you know, I said, how do you resonate with your, my mother? I said, it don't matter what shit I do. I'm still her son at 41 years old. I could get fucking arrested for attempted murder, and my mum was still standing in court and go. He didn't do it, the judge.
0: <laughs>
1: That's the way my mum is. She's yeah. like oh, I mean, yeah. many a time she fucking went into the schools when I was getting suspended for fighting or truancy or whatever. She goes, Yes, but this, 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 she was always defending. The minute we got out the door, it was a fucking clip around the ear, you little fucking shit look what you had to make me do. But that was within the entwines of the family. Mm. Publicize the humiliation in public was never there. The, the, the consequences of the behavior was never there in public. It was always dealt within the, 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 bread of the family. And that's very much the way I want my family to be. Like mm. you said, you book your kids a certain way, but you guarantee they're respectful when they're out with others. Everyone. Always oh, they're says amazing. Yeah. We can go into we <laughs> and say, you, you your boys are so well behaved i'm like we think they're a pain in the fucking ass half the time but but we don't see what other people see mm. so we know that we're doing something wrong because everybody always wants to have our fucking kids they all, yeah. Oh, they anytime your kids are wonderful they're so well mannered they're so polite I'm yeah like, man same i
0: hear this everywhere same shit <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's like, oh, they're,
0: they're so well mannered. They say they're pleased. They say thank you. Everything yeah. is, you know, they're always like after dinner, it's like, oh, can I grab your plate? Do you want any more of yeah. something? You want some more water? And I'm like, well, that's because when I'm at home is like, for instance, today, per- perfect example, sitting at the table. I just got home from work, sat down, knew I had to come do this. My daughter's been doing sweet fuck all all day. Right. <laughs> and she's the older one. So she comes to sit down is just about to eat. And I'm like, oh. You want to go grab me my uh, my shilajit and a a can of water in the kitchen, please? Obviously respected, but I'm not like you're my slave. Go get it. I'm like, no, hey, can you please go grab me my, you know, my water and my shilajit on the counter? I'd appreciate it. And then uh, my son's like, oh, go grab me one, too. And I'm like, you get the fuck up and go get it yourself. What have you done to earn somebody grabbing you something? Are you insane? Like what you think your mom needs to get up off. Of, she's working right now. She's trying to eat and work at the same time. Who the fuck owes you anything, guy? And Get up and go get it yourself. And he's like, yeah. ah, you're right. You're right. And yeah. mind you, this is a, but what people don't understand is, is there's, there's one simple thing that I don't think a lot of people understand about children. Children are all narcissists. Oh, yes. Everything, everything yes. is me, 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 I, 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 but that's just through time it leaves them as they learn to in a kid's mind bro they're not as their consciousness is not expanded to where ours is their whole world is just mom dad home school if they go to school and their group of friends their their world isn't like you know bills taxes investments work you know overseas friends podcasts right so these are just all kids are narcissists so when it's like man you really only think of yourself it's like yeah no shit that's their job (laughs) right like that's what they do the point is is dude i I entirely hear you man people always tell me how amazing my kids are and i've refrained from telling people because i've done it a couple times in the in in the past where it's like really like dude they're little shits at home but i've just stopped saying that entirely Simply because it's like, I don't want them to, I don't want to put it into their head that like, Oh, well, this is what we are. And we're just faking it. It's like, no, no, you're being you. And I'm fucking glad that other people see that all the hard work is paying off. So, you know, what, end of the day, like, go grab yourself an extra cupcake or whatever, man, you Mm earned it. Like, look, obviously they're showing you that they respect that you have respect. So go reward yourself for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's our role as the masculine and, Dude, the masculines made so many errors in so many ways, mm. and uh, at the end of the day, dude, I don't, I don't blame them for it. I'm actually happy that the masculine before us, the generation before us, our parents were so fucked up, um, <laughs> like, just, just in the way that they approached, you know, being men. It was very, it was just different, and, and I think it taught us. Yeah, it, it taught us though. How to say, eh, I don't really fucking like that too much. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think there's some things to change. And then being cognizant of that with our own kids. Dude, I think, it's, I think it's a big thing because, dude, I'll tell you, and this is actually a funny story I haven't shared anywhere other than uh, at home with my wife. So my son, one time, he's getting a little bit of an attitude. He must have only been like four years old and he's starting to give his mom some lip, like legit talking back to her. So I was like, all right, I need to finally teach this little boy that like this shit ain't right. So I walk into the room. And I told him, I'm like, stand up. And he gets off of his bed and he stands up in front of me. And I just got down like on my knees. So I was still, you know, towering over this fucking four year old. Right. And I just let him a very stern look in my face. I put my nose against his nose. And I told him, you ever, you ever speak to mom like that again, because that's not your mom. That's my wife. You're not allowed to disrespect her, bro. And the most magical thing happened. He didn't submit at all. He clenched his little fists. He looked me dead in my eyes, bro. And just the tears start pulling down his face, but he didn't break eye contact. And he was legit. Like if I fucking die, i die. Dude, it was the coolest. Like all I could do was just fucking give him the biggest hug. Cause it was like, I know you felt my message, But the fact that you said, nah, (laughs) I know I'm going to have to pay for it, but I'll take my licks was like for me, dude, that was like the greatest is, you know, you, you, you just earned my respect as, as a, as a boy. So dude, it was a, it was an experience that I could never replicate again. And I was very firm, but very serious. And in my heart, dude, it was breaking. I don't want to see this little boy crying from me. He's fucking this. That's my kid. But there needs to be a line like, no, no, this is your mom. How you talk to me is one thing. You know, if you want to get a little crazy with me, you and I can handle that. But your mom, your mom's home while I'm at work, bro. She's doing everything for you. Don't you fucking dare ever speak to her that way. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, that, uh, that experience, man. um, That was, that was cool. See little man just like, all right, well, guess I'm going to die today. (laughs) (laughs) It was legit. It's legit as fuck i'm going out dad i'm going out <laughs> yeah man it was cool as hell so anyway brother to to fucking end this podcast off is there uh is is there anything else that that you see issues with or that you just want to say uh, and you need a platform to it's you know the, the floor is yours brother say whatever you got to
1: just everything just everyone be a little bit more fucking cordial with each other and mm. everyone's stopping so fucking erratically emotional and taking things personable. Stop thinking the world revolves around fucking you and everybody's message or everybody's opinion resonates with you. It fucking doesn't. The outreach is there and people need to be a bit more, you know, like you say, less narcissistic and thinking that shit, their shit don't stick, but that, you know, they're always right. People need to fucking be a bit more open-minded and constructive with people's opinions. And be a bit more respectful with people's opinions. Even if you don't agree with them, be respectful enough to listen to it and then challenge it. Mm -hmm. The the culture conversation isn't fucking there and it needs to come back. It really fucking does because it fucking pisses me off because we're seen as the outliers and we're seen as, you know, sticking our heads above the parapet to kind of get, you know, people to, you know, resonate and communicate. It's just, It gets fucking tiresome and how many fucking of us can fucking do it, you know, before a few of us get fucking tired and go, you know, fuck you, you know, fuck this. Is it really worth it? But as we know, we've got generations coming up behind us. That's kind of why we stick doing what we're doing, because it's a necessary entity. And I feel that our message is, is definitely necessary, especially for the families we're bringing up behind us because it will lead to a compound of what comes up in the, in the future ahead. So people just need to fucking rail their fucking necks in a little bit and just, just communicate a bit better rather than getting fucking anguish and angry about shit. People are too emotional, too destructive rather than constructive. Mm. That's what it needs to be. It needs to be more of that.
0: Absolutely, man. So Look, I probably should have asked that before you answered that, but fuck it. It'll give you uh, the ability to answer with something else. Um, so it's, uh, you know, as I'm sure, you know, on the podcast is a tradition of mine to uh, ask a question at the end of this. And that question is, if you had three things that you could tell people that would change the world today, what would those three things be?
1: Ooh don't follow the bullshit. <laughs> mm. Learn to live with yourself. Mm. Stop. Stop being outward about it. Start to take some working with, with yourselves. Nobody works with themselves. No one looks at themselves because it's a scary fucking thing. No one wants to be alone and figure shit out. They're always looking for an entity or an outlet or somebody or something to cling to. People still need to be more accountable for themselves but actually resonate and actually look within themselves on their own and be comfortable with it and actually be fucking truthful with themselves, brutally truthful, because it would change a lot of people's past and a lot of people's perceptions of the world if people actually fucking stood up and actually took accountability for who they are. And what they stand for is individuals because what's coming up behind is fucking not good because people don't and it needs to. So yeah, that would be my, my
0: three, I think. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's uh dude. It makes perfect sense, man. And that self accountability, uh, <sighs> I don't think I can harp on it any more than I already have. I will. I'll continue talking about it. But I think that that is the number one thing about society and people in general is to fucking hold yourself accountable. And that means when it sucks, when it's hard, when you know you're fucking wrong, those are the times when you need to hold yourself the most accountable. But... With all that being said, brother, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, dude, we're definitely going to have to have you on again in the future, man. These conversations are great. And uh, I think one of these days we have to come on and just strictly talk about the masculine. And, uh, you know, no, how bro. we can... yeah, brother. So we'll definitely have you back on. And I appreciate you coming, man.
1: Always my pleasure, bro. Great to speak to you again, Eric, man.
0: Thank you guys for tuning into my podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Real7Show. If you guys would like the video versions of the podcast, you can follow me on Rumble at The7Show or on Rockfin at Real7Show. Be sure when listening to leave a five-star rating and review on the platform that you are listening on. Also, make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. It helps the podcast grow more than you guys know. And until next time, this is The Real7 Show.